Lord be with you. And also with you. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God was in Christ reconciling the world to God's self. God was in Christ reconciling the world to God's self. Beloved, upon this Christmas Sunday morning, we welcome you to the service of ordered worship. The liturgy, music, and homily are offered in the praise of God for our gathered congregation here in Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership now and later around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of ministry and leadership in our midst. And as the Spirit moves, come Sunday, your presence with us in worship. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
we pray. Purify our conscience, almighty God, by your daily visitation, that your Son, Jesus Christ, at his coming, may find in us a mansion prepared for himself, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. Infant holy, infant lowly, for his bed a cattle stall. In this season and upon this Lord's Day, we recognize both the holy and the lowly, the lowly in the holy, and as we come to offer our prayer of confession, we watch for ways individually and together to practice charity, humility, grace, and love. Let us offer our prayers of silent confession as the choir sings our Kyrie. Let us pray. When the song of the angels is stilled and the star in the sky is gone and the kings and princes are home and the shepherds are back with their flocks, then the work of Christmas begins to find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among people, to make music in the heart. Beloved, hear good news. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the prophet Micah, chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. But you... O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who are one of the little clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to rule in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has brought forth then the rest of his kindred shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall live secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be the one of peace. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh, 
A lesson from St. Paul's Epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 5 through 10. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, See God, I have come to do your will, O God. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, see, I have come to do your will. He abolishes the first in order to establish the second. And it is by God's will that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us say together the canticle Magnificat with the antiphon. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. According to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Let us stand as we are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke, chapter 1, verses 39 through 45. Glory to you, O Lord. In those days Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. 
When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. be seated. He is the way. Follow him in the land of unlikeness. You will see rare beasts and have unique adventures. He is the truth. Follow him in the kingdom of anxiety. You will come to a great city that has awaited your return for years. He is the life Love him in the world of the flesh, and at your marriage, all its occasions will dance for joy. So, Auden's poem. There are two sorts of Christmas, two dimensions of the Christmas gospel, that of the outside and that of the inside, that of the river and that of the rail, that of Elizabeth and that of Mary, that of John the Baptist and that of Jesus of Nazareth, that of doubt and that of faith. And both are blessed and both are good. At a Christmas party this past week, one of our soon-to-graduate theological students said she would soon be interviewed in the middle of the country by her board of ordained ministry What will they ask you, we inquired, wondering maybe if they would ask about the synoptic problem or the documentary hypothesis or the second aorist or the teleological suspension of the ethical or the arts of preaching and pastoral care. But she paused and very very earnestly said, no. First, they will ask me, why did you go to Boston, to Boston University, to study theology? And what will she reply? Maybe her reply will be the Christmas gospel of doubt and faith, and she will reply, I went to Boston because there I can search for truth and affirm grace at the same time. There I can practice the search, including analytical and doubtful criticism for truth, and receive and affirm faith at the same time. I can become human, both of mind and of heart, in that space. The Christmas gospel is of two sorts. First, of doubt. When we listened to the lessons and carols last week, our joyous Christmas celebration here, 
How wonderful to hear the music. How special to hear the prophecy, say, from Isaiah chapter 9. The lion will lie down with the lamb. They shall not hurt in all my holy hills, saith the Lord. And our tears reflect both the beauty and the absence of that reality. Ours is not a Christmas, but a violent and a greedy and an empty world. We search along the riverbank with John the Baptist and the roiling river of the river, say the River Charles, starting right here at Marsh Chapel. We recognize we have to. The violence all about us, that is the nature of truth, to be sensitive to and honest about the facts of life and the world around us. We carry an anxiety, some of it as we've said frequently from this pulpit, is that subconscious anxiety about a world in which what portent there is for the wrong weapon in the wrong hand at the wrong place at the wrong time. And that can make the strongest among, among, among us anxious and so overly receptive to a violence, a rhetorical, social, cultural, religious, and political, rhetorical violence that bubbles over in public speech that is demagogic, that is belittling, that is bigoted, that sets aside the great traditions of our culture and of our land. Institutions matter. And it's a strange thing to desire to lead an institution on the one hand and mock it with one's rhetoric on the other. No, institutions matter. Process matters. Due process matters greatly. Proven experience matters. Excellent proven experience matters greatly. Institutions matter. And the care and feeding of institutions, anything worthy of the name, marriage, family, church, community, business, company, corporation, country, they require inch by inch, row by row, attention to honesty and health and the development of a reservoir of goodwill. It will be a tragic thing if this generation of 20-somethings takes more than half a lifetime to realize the importance of institutions as apparently have done their parents. The rhetoric around us is not Christmas, but violence. Or think of the, just this one country in the last year or so. Ferguson, Baltimore, Staten Island, Charleston, Cleveland, Colorado Springs, San Bernardino. How did we become a people 300 million strong with households laden with 300 million guns? Whence our taste? Whence the development of a palette for such violence? Where did it come from? Maybe a little bit at the founding, you could say, at the settlement. Maybe a, a smidgen at the revolution for those who didn't go north to Canada. No. We don't take it out and look at it. But our predilection to violence comes from another quarter. Racism and gun violence are the same coin. They are two sides of the same coin. Racism and gun violence grew up together. They grew up in the same neighborhood. They grew up on the same street. They grew up playing in the same playground. Racism and gun violence went to the same school. They sat in the same classroom. And they received tutelage from the same teacher. And who is that teacher in the front of the room creating the dark ghosts of racism and gun violence across this country? Why, it is slavery. Forged in the anvil of slavery. Four million people do not of their own choice stay in irons. For that it takes violence of the whip, of the lash, of the pistol, of the gun, of the hound, of the lynching tree, and worst of all, the violence hidden in policy and procedure from Jim Crow to this day, making the irrational seem somehow reasonable. 
We benefit from the monument out front to Martin Luther King, but its interpretation requires something of us. Yes, to recognize what has been done, for sure, what has been achieved, for sure, but also, and more so, to recognize that we are not finished. And when we think we're finished, we're really finished. Ours is a violent world at Christmas. Down the esplanade further, we stop. It's a greedy world, too. We can recognize the multiple appeals to us to buy and the far fewer appeals to us to give. But you know, you only really own what you can give away. You only really possess what you have the liberty to give something else to someone else. You only really have in your possession that which you can offer to others. Somebody is going to come along at some point and endow the deanship of this chapel as a gift or support the further growth of our musical programs as a gift or offer as a first set of offerings something to move us forward. The giver is the biggest recipient of benevolence in the gift and ours all around us has become a heavily mercantile materialist world. We recognize the needs for sharing and so on, but at Christmas we also see where we have come. It's almost as if the symbols of Christianity, as Bahanian wondered 50 years ago, have grown cold to the culture around us. The star and the angel and the shepherd and the king and the straw. Ours is a world of buying and of selling. Ours is also a world of emptiness, my friend, perhaps sitting alone in the hatch shell, feeling the emptiness of a world that has seen in the last several years the loss of his family members, the loss of his spouse, maybe along with him you feel that too, an emptiness that seems unabated. As in Frost's cry, when to the heart of man was it ever less than a treason to go with the drift of things, to yield with a grace to reason, to bow and accept the end of a love or a season. No. We know what John the Baptist is teaching us out along the river, that prophetic voice, that voice of doubt, that searching, searing light, keeping us on the ground with Luke who would want us to embed ourselves in the history of our own time. No. Christmas brings a certain doubt, and yet, kind sir, as you pause along the river in the shimmering darkness, as you recognize honestly what is before us, is there, may I, may I ask, not just a little smidgen of faith trailing your doubt as well? There in the moonlight along the river, is there not a luminous, numinous, a bit of spirit, of presence, of mystery, a little bit of faith to season your doubt. For the Christmas gospel is not only that of John the Baptist, it's also that of Jesus, not only that of Elizabeth, but also that of Mary, not only that of the river and the search for truth, but also that of the rail and the affirmation of faith. We can pause right here inside now for a minute to recognize come Christmas the gifts of grace, beginning with the gospel according to St. Luke and his measured, historical, wonderful account of the birth of the Christ child. At Christmas time, more than any other, especially upon Christmas Eve, over years and decades, we can testify. We see women and men in the dark, in the nave, with the candle, singing the carol, and recognizing at some visceral level the world does not lack for wonders, but only for a sense of wonder. Learning begins at root in a sense of wonder at all that has been given. So here at Marsh Chapel in these years, while we have long had a strong Holy Week, Good Friday, and Easter, we are now growing and continuing to grow in Christmas and Christmas Eve. This is not only to expand and grow the congregation. It's also and more so to give us a balance, a theological, spiritual balance. The church told two stories about Jesus. The first, the most primitive, the story of his death, crucifixion, and resurrection. The more important, no question. 
And that is Holy Week, and that is Good Friday, and that is Easter. But very quickly, the church added a second story, second account story, that of Jesus and his life and his birth, his nativity, his growth, his teaching, preaching, and healing, and parables, and miracles, and all. You need both of those wings to fly. Both the primitive early first story of his death and the second narrative of his life. That's what brings wonder to life, wonder in the heart of the Gospel of Luke. We pause along the rail also to listen again to Micah ben Imla. Wonder can be found even in the midst of emptiness. Care can be found even in a mercantile and materialist time. Care that is expressed in your own life and in the shepherding life of this community. Care in listening. Care in visitation. Care in response. Care in presence, care that Micah the prophet would know as he admonished us, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with thy God, to have a heart. This is for all the lonely people thinking the world has passed them by. Don't give up until you've drunk from the silver cup. You never know until you try. There is a care And you're living it, salt and light, that resists the heavy wind of greed all around us. And stopping finally along the rail at the epistle to the Hebrews, we shall recognize also, and maybe more so, that the violence of our time has, as the champion of the one, the Prince of Peace, our Lord whose coming and whose presence guides us into the things that make for peace. We shall resolve this Christmas. We know Whittier's complaint that, and then in grief I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. We know that, but we also know the presence of Christ teaching us in community, covenant, and by example, that we individually and collectively will resist the urge to strike or strike first or to throw a first punch. That we as individuals and a collective will resist the temptation to act unilaterally. That we as individuals and a collective will resist, develop that spiritual resistance, as Niebuhr called it, against the capacity to love things and use people when our calling is to love people and to use things. And we will develop individually and as a collective a capacity to see and to foresee and to plan and to make space for the life of faith in wonder and in care and in peacemaking itself. This is the gift of Christmas, the gift of faith, but should you be more inclined to the indoor and then the outdoor, and more to light than darkness, and more to the cradle than to the roiling river, maybe we would notice that even the strongest faith benefits from the little smidgen, the little trail of doubt following, to give salt, to make sure that your faith does not curdle into blind faith, that your faith does not curdle into fideism. People of faith, this Christmas season, the gospel comes in two sorts, that of the river and that of the rail, that of Elizabeth and that of Mary, that of John the Baptist, that of Jesus, that of doubt and the search for truth, and that of grace and the affirmation of faith. And both are blessed, happy, and good, for he is the way, Follow him in the land of unlikeness. You will see rare beasts and have unique adventures. He is the truth. Seek him in the kingdom of anxiety. You will come to a great city that has awaited your return for years. He is the life. Love him in the world of the flesh. And at your marriage, all its occasions, will dance, will dance, will dance for joy.
O come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Come, let us adore him. Sitting, standing, or kneeling, head bowed or face to the rising sun, you are welcome to pray in the way that the Spirit moves you. In preparation for prayer, let us sing together, Lead Me, Lord. Holy God, joyfully and triumphantly, we lift our voices in praise to you. With love and awe, we embrace you. We thank you for your steadfast love and faithfulness. Because of your tender mercy, loving God, the dawn of heaven came to give light to those who walk in darkness and to those who live in the shadow of death. The true light that gives light to everyone came to guide us to the path of peace. Joyfully, we adore you and offer our thanksgiving and praise. God of mercy, we thank you for the gift of salvation, Jesus Christ our Lord. We confess that we have not loved as you have taught us, and we have strayed from the path of peace. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Purify our hearts, for we, are, for we willingly offer them to you. Cleanse us of an indifference and intolerance. Refine us so that we reflect your love with compassion and patience. Renew in us a spirit of kindness, humility, and gentleness so that we may be the peace of your presence in those we encounter. Help us to forgive one another as you have forgiven us. Abide with us, gracious Father. Be with those whose call to service keeps them away from their loved ones. We pray for those around the world who suffer from the indignities of justice of injustice, the violence of war, and the apathy of their governments. We pray for the leadership of our country, as well as leaders around the world. We pray for those at eternal rest and ask that you comfort the friends and loved ones who grieve for them. Give strength and courage to those who are dying. For the anxious, we ask for your peace. We pray for the sick and those undergoing medical procedures. Stand beside their caregivers, guiding their hands and focusing their minds. We call on you, O God, for you will answer us. Give ear to us and hear our prayers, for we offer them in the name of love's pure light. Amen. Now, as a children of God, let us pray together the prayer that Emmanuel taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
The peace of the Lord be always with you. We preface our remarks this morning by noting that there will be no Star Wars spoilers in these community life announcements. That seasonally necessary announcement out of the way, we welcome you once again here to the nave of Marsh Chapel and encourage you to participate in our ritual for friendship by putting your name and contact information in the red books found along the center aisle of each pew and passing those books along to your neighbor so that we can get to know you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the coming week. Things have slowed down here a bit at Marsh as the semester has come to a close. We are grateful for your presence with us here this Sunday morning and look forward to your being with us throughout the intercession. We are here every Sunday, including next Sunday. Also, we have two Christmas Eve services this Thursday, one at 1 p.m. and a candlelight service at 7.30 p.m., both here in the nave, and hope you can join us as you're in town for the holiday. We note that uh, Carols from Marsh Chapel, a CD of Christmas carols recorded by the Marsh Chapel Choir, is available for sale in the narthex following the service. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
God, our Savior, our souls magnify you and our spirits rejoice in you. Sanctify these gifts given out of our abundance and out of our lack so that they may be used to lift up all those who are low in the strength of your mighty name. Amen. were sleeping, shepherds keeping vigil till the morning knew, saw the glory, heard the story, tidings of a gospel true. Thus rejoicing, free from sorrow, praises voicing, greet the morrow. Christ the babe is born for you. <laughs> 